This podcast is sponsored by Low No Drinker magazine, the number one UK magazine for the sober curious drinker, bringing you news, reviews and interviews from the people, places and brands leading the low and no alcohol revolution. As a Sober Rebel listener, use code SOBERREBEL15 to get 15% off any digital or print subscription from the Low No Drinker magazine for six whole months. Hello and welcome to the Sober Rebel podcast, the show where I talk to people about the benefits of sobriety and all that it's brought to them, because going sober isn't easy but it does make life a lot easier. And today I'm going to be talking to Mitch, who is an amazing guy. He's a published author. He's got over 17 years in recovery and he's also worked in the recovery sector as well. So I can't wait to find out more. Thank you so much for joining me today. Just tell me a little bit, whatever you want to, about your journey into sobriety. Thank you for having me, Louisa. I really appreciate it. This shows the power of how technology can connect people in a positive way. That we could be two, we're two, uh, I'm going to get into my story, but we're two totally different people. I mean, you're a mother who lives in England, um, a guy that lives in Connecticut, works in New York City, and we connected, and now we're chatting, and it's a beautiful thing. We have a common goal. And that's, we do. And that's to share the power of sobriety. So my story, each section of my story, as I tell it, from getting sober to my journey in sobriety and all the beautiful things I've gotten today, I could like stop in each point and summarize it with a tip and with like a, a lesson. And that's what we could definitely focus on today because I feel like each lesson I've learned along my journey in and out of sobriety can be helpful to share to help someone who is, you know, thinking about being sober, who is sober, who's new to sobriety. So that's why I love to share my story. That's and amazing because you've got yeah. some years clocked up, haven't you? You've got 17 years sobriety. It depends how you look at it. I went to rehab April 2006. So I started my journey over 17 years ago. So like 17 and a half years ago now, almost 18 this coming April. But, you know, I have 15 years in a row of not drinking or doing drugs, you know, without mm -hmm. a relapse, you know, the first couple of years, and I'll get into it where, you know, every couple of months, I, w I wasn't really doing that, that the right things. And every couple of months, I would go back to the drink. So it took me a couple of years to get like a day, basically. <laughs> Sober, yeah. we said, I grew up in New Jersey, great kid, come from a great family, I had great values. I never really saw anything crazy at home. This is like the nature versus nurture debate. I didn't witness anything around me that would cause me to like become an alcoholic and have problems with substance abuse and alcohol. But from the second I picked up my first drink, it was like me and a couple guys in my friend's basement. And he said, my dad has a couple beers in the fridge. Let's take them. I remember that first time I had a drink on my own. And it was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Like, what is this? It was like discovering gold. It was like a warm apple pie on like a rainy day, you know? Yeah. Like, I can't even describe how good it felt. And and from that moment, I chase for the next couple of years like that that feeling. 
and I pretty quickly established a problem with alcohol. I mean, I went from having one beer to like drinking alone to realizing like, wow, when you drink, you get drunk. And like, that is a good feeling. And I chased that feeling. And I was stealing alcohol, stealing wine from friends and family and drinking it on my own. I was stealing liquor from my parents' cabinets and then replacing it with water so they wouldn't notice. And I realized that it was like so much fun to get drunk. And like, I didn't care about the social aspect or enjoying the taste of of alcohol. I just did it to get drunk. And that was like my mindset right away. And I chased that in doing some crazy things. Basically, you know, at this point I was like 16 years old. So it was easier to start getting marijuana, cocaine, because like, you know, you you have to be 21 in New Jersey to drink alcohol. So like what the alcohol led me to was down a deep, dark path full of substances, lies, cheating. I started stealing. And before you know it, I'm getting in trouble with my family. I'm getting in trouble with school. I'm getting in trouble with friends. Then I started getting in trouble with the law. Like I started driving drunk. I I remember one time specifically, like my parents wanted me home at a certain time, like 10 or 11 p.m. I ended up getting a flat tire. It was raining and I had like a like a bottle of beer in my lap and I was drunk and I drove and I pulled up to my parents' house with a flat tire in the rain with a bottle of beer past the curfew. I just didn't care cuz like I was chasing that feeling of getting drunk and that was like right away back to what I said nature versus nurture like I believe that you know I have an allergy to alcohol. Besides, someone would have an allergy to peanuts. Then I got in trouble with the law. Um, I got arrested my graduation night from high school. Around that time is when I really believe, like, I lost control. Like, I, I couldn't stop. It just was like a daily routine. Go off to college, and I didn't even go to class. I just continued what I was doing. And at this point, I would consider myself definitely an alcoholic, definitely a drug addict, because I couldn't stop using every day. I kept on saying, like, how am I going to get drunk today? How am I going to get high? That was the only reason. School, family, friends, nothing mattered. I chased that feeling of getting drunk because that's just what I felt like. You know, that's just like what I wanted to do. The consequences didn't matter. It seemed like I always got out of any pickle that I could get into. And then I got sober because April of my freshman year in college. So um, it's this is like a week before my 19th birthday. I was in Indiana for college, the state of Indiana. I went back to New Jersey and I ended up running away from home. I was home to visit my family, but that didn't matter. I needed to keep drinking. So I remember stealing my dad's credit card, checking it, driving, because I didn't know what to do. Because I told my family, like the first night I was home to visit them, that I was just going out for a bit and I just didn't come back. Then I drove to some random place. I don't even remember where and checked myself into some motel room. And I was there until Sunday. It was like I ran away on Thursday night, and this is Sunday. It was before the internet was big, so I picked up the Yellow Pages. This is 2006, and I called some hotline, and I asked for help. And I told them I wasn't okay, and I needed them to call my family. Next thing you know, I hear a couple knocks on the door, probably a couple hours after I called the hotline. I don't even remember what I said. It was a blur, but I probably told them where I was. And it's a couple police officers. It turns out my parents had filed a missing persons report, like the back of a milk carton, like Mitch is missing because I turned my phone off. Because again, the only thing that matters was 
getting drunk, getting high, like didn't matter the family stuff. And uh, they took me to a hospital. They found a missing person. So they took me to the hospital and my family came to the hospital. I broke down. I started crying. I told them I had a problem and I needed help. And a week later, I was in rehab. I went to a treatment center in Pennsylvania and I was there for four months. And that's the beginning of my journey into sobriety. The first thing I tell people is that's my story. It doesn't need to get that bad to ask for help. Like Mm -hmm. that is my lesson from that story. Like this is my story. You don't need to get in trouble with the law. You don't need to have, you, you don't need to run away from home. It doesn't even need to get that bad that you feel like you're addicted and you can't go one day without drinking. It's just like, it doesn't need to get that bad for us for help. And, and so that's like my number one thing that I always tell from my story after telling my story to the first time I got sober into rehab. That's quite a sort of quick descent, wasn't it? It was yes. you. I, I haven't heard many stories that have been that quick to descend, mm-hmm. but also then for intervention and for you to go to rehab. Now you say this is then the start of your journey into sobriety and I'm guessing there's more to it than that but yeah it it sort of feels quite shocking actually that it happens so quickly you describe it like an allergy Louisa you have kids I mean at any point you notice if someone has an allergy to something nuts or you know I don't know in like America I feel like with with children peanuts is a huge allergy I've been in 12-step programs we believe that you know if you're an alcoholic and you have a problem with alcohol, it's a manifestation of an allergy. And that allergy that I had, seemingly right off the bat, the first time I I had alcohol is that once I start drinking, I can't stop. Yeah. (laughs) You know, that like, and we we say one is too many, a thousand is never enough. Yes, my story is quick. I have addictive personality. And when you put the wrong thing in my body, this is what happens. Like I get in trouble with the law, I start lying to my family. I make new friends. I don't care about relationships. And I just chase that drink because as soon as I have one, I have to chase it. So, yeah, I do believe it's an allergy. And, you know, now I'm grateful that I found it. I mean, so I could go enjoy my life without alcohol. Yeah, because it's really clear cut, isn't it? That's one of the the conversations I have with we have a term, um, I don't know if you do in America as well, gray area drinking, where you wouldn't say that you are an alcoholic or have an allergy, but you're drinking too much and you know it's unhealthy. And it's, you know, you, you kind of, it's it's hard to get out of because let's face it, alcohol's really addictive and it's so socially acceptable, almost forced on you. So yes. that kind of gray area drinker like I was, I struggled to almost that little voice in your head that says, oh, you're fine, keeps talking you out of doing something. Whereas I've also got friends who have hit a rock bottom and it's so clear cut. It's like, no, I can't touch it because X, Y, Z will happen. It's like you've just said there. It's yes. really clear cut. And you knew that from such a young age that you know, of, yeah. you just know you're building your life from that foundation. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think that, I mean, that's such a good point. And the good news is that we see today that, yeah, there's multiple different types of alcoholics or people that have, you know, a relationship with alcohol, just like anything. For me, I believe that I am the alcoholic type, the kind that any substance, like I cannot have any substance that affects me from the neck up, like mind or mood altering substance. But then you're right. There's people that may or may not be that type, but for their benefits, 
will just should should not drink probably <laughs> you know yeah. mm -hmm. like you say neck up anything neck up i'm not interested in any sort of mind-altering substance exactly so what happened then i went to treatment for four months and i understood pretty quickly that this is not normal it's not normal to be 19 years old and being in rehab like i should be enjoying my life i should be in college i should be working i should be traveling the world i should be meeting young kids having experiences but i was celebrating my 19th birthday in rehab and you know so it was easy for me to realize that i had a problem right yeah i was able to then listen to the experts that said look you have to change one thing mitch and that one thing is everything <laughs> yeah, you know easy yeah because what they said you have to change your people, places, and things because what you're doing isn't working. Like to end up in rehab at 19, like you have to live a different way. So they they recommended that I live in a halfway house. So to live in a sober environment, but that wasn't rehab, I can leave, you know. So I left rehab and I moved into this guy Scotty's house in the Poconos. If your audience is not familiar, the Poconos is in Pennsylvania. It's like a country kind of area in the woods that is famous. They have a NASCAR race. They have a lot of hunting, a lot like people go there and they have like a second home in the Poconos. They have skiing. It's like a nice quiet place to live. So I lived with this guy. He had four or five guys in his house. There was a curfew. You had to get a job or you had to go back to school. I ended up doing both part-time. I, had a, I got a part-time job. So he helps you get a job and he helps me start to live my life in a sort of controlled environment. Like it was only sober people that lived with him. And he helped me get back into the world as a sober individual. And that was very helpful in like kind of rebuilding the blocks of my life. But as a sober guy, I eventually got a car. I eventually started sending money back to my parents because I stole a lot of money from them. He helped me do that. And he really gave me a lot of tools in the sober toolbox, let's say, to go back into the world, but sober. That really helped build the foundation of my sobriety. What ended up happening is I listened for the first couple months. Then I moved out to an apartment with some guys that I met at the house. It was three of us. We were all sober. But I started, like, I started getting things back and I started not doing all the things that got me to that point. And I ended up meeting a girl and I ended up relapsing pretty quickly after moving out of that halfway house, but I, I kept moving forward. So it, like I said, it, it took a couple years to get this chunk of sobriety that I have now. And I kept moving forward. I kept working. I kept going back to school. I kept meeting sober people and building a community around me. And it was successful. I got an apartment there for a bit. Then I found out that there was this collegiate recovery program at Rutgers University in New Jersey. So again, like the whole time, all I'm doing is making decisions based off my sobriety first. Yeah. So I was at, I went from Indiana University. I failed out and went to rehab. Here I am in the Poconos taking community college classes part-time, figuring out what I wanted to do. And I researched that Rutgers University it's the State University of New Jersey, had a program, if you're in recovery or you're sober, you can live in this sober dorm, so to speak, and go and attend Rutgers. That's amazing. And I, 
Yeah, and I chose Rutgers because of that dorm. So I'm thinking and making my life plans based on my sobriety. So your sobriety comes first. What an amazing opportunity, though, because like university and college is just such a a sort of a temptation all around you. Yes. Uh, So that is just mm -hmm. phenomenal. And you're making those decisions based around your sobriety first. Yes. And it was the only reason how I got a college degree. I mean, look, I'm I'm a stats guy. I'm a data guy. I'm a numbers guy. When I'm drinking, I go to college and I fail out and go to rehab. So it made sense that I had to be sober if I wanted to pass college and not fail out and go to rehab again. Right. Yeah. So like that's 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 very easy data data point. Yeah. So I moved from the Poconos to New Brunswick, New Jersey, and live and moved into the sober dorm and went to school. And I was there for three years and I had a lot of success. I built up this community of young, sober college students. I built up this community of alumni, of people that used to live in the house that were living in the area. And they were my friends and I used them as role models and examples of what I wanted to be when I graduated the program. So I was really doing well. I started like just being sober after the stuff I put my family through, just doing, just being sober. They were happy. And I started building up relationships with all my family again. And they were, that was amazing. So I really had success, but, you know, putting my sobriety first and saying, I'm only going to go to a four-year school, to a university that has this program. And, and I had success. Then I was able to do amazing things. I had an internship in New York City. I studied abroad in Italy. I had relationships. I met, I I had girlfriends. It it was great. And it was all because I put my sobriety first, focused on my sobriety, had the community there. And that's why I had success. So I had the internship in New York City, which then led me to New York when I graduated college. And, you know, I, I just moved out of New York City and I was there for 10 years and I decided I needed some peace and quiet after being in a loud city. And then I moved to the suburbs of of Connecticut and that's where I am today. That is such a story. And you're only, how old are you now, if you don't mind me asking? I'm 36. I'm making those choices, your sobriety first. I think that's, I sort of got a shiver when you said that because that's exactly now how I feel when I make any decision in my life is that will this enhance my sobriety or will it threaten it? So that's a good bit of advice there for anybody is that when you're sober, you always, if you always put your sobriety first, the rest of your life kind of tends to fall into place behind it. Absolutely. And and I call that having smart feet. Smart feet. Oh, I like that. Yeah. We call that having smart feet because sometimes it may, may not make sense in your brain, but, you do, but I have smart feet. I just show up anyway and follow that value and that principle in wherever I am. And it always works out. I mean, the story of my career up until the, today is a perfect example of that. I'm having smart feet. And, I'll, it, and my career today is also an example of being sober. You can have success in your career, financially, whatever it is. My book, the title is My Addiction, My Superpower. I feel like being sober is a superpower. Yeah, I do. That's a positive, that's contagious to keep on sharing that. Like talk about how amazing life is sober. And then, you know, that that's attractive. 
making decisions with the value and the principle that I'm only going to do what's best for my sobriety and everything else will work out. Sometimes it's very hard decisions. Sometimes it's, I'm going to, I have to quit my job. This is not good. Sometimes it's, I have to leave this relationship. Really, it's all about making decisions in your life based on, is this good for my sobriety? And then everything usually works out. Yeah. So it's it's that simple. I mean, and it's something that I've done throughout my life and it's gotten to me where I am today. So when I was in the halfway house, I said I had a part-time job. He got me a job as a waiter. So I started to develop customer service skills and started to be around alcohol. And yeah. I started to realize that I could be around alcohol in a real in a restaurant and not drink. So that was good to kind of throw me in the fire right away. But it was more so I learned the value of hard work. I learned the value of showing up and I learned customer service too. So when I got to Rutgers, what did I do? I worked as a waiter in the Poconos. I had experience. I got a job at some diner because it was important to me and my sobriety that I make money and show up. And so this is a value of like showing up, making money. It just like made me felt good and felt productive. So I carried that into everything, right? So then I moved to New York City and I I thought I wanted to do public relations. That was when I had a sober friend get me an internship with this PR firm. So I was like, oh, this is meant to be. And it ended up not being good, too good for my sobriety because there was like a drinking culture after work. That you had is... to drink with, go to a bar together. And I felt uncomfortable. There was like drink with clients. There was long hours. And I made a decision to leave because... It wasn't good for my sobriety. I had smart feet. I mean, look, at this point in my career, I'm like 22, 23. It doesn't even matter, but I thought it was everything. I was like, how am I going to make it? How am I going to survive? But I I had the principle, if it's not good for my sobriety, I can't do it. So I ended up quitting and, and figuring out what I wanted to do. And I ended up working in recovery. I, I ended up working for you know, I was I was a member of a halfway house. I lived in a halfway house and I ended up working for this halfway house recovery company in New York City. We ran lofts and townhouses in New York City. So people would go to rehab or if you had a problem with drinking and you wanted a safe space to live that was drug free, that was sober. We breathalyzed people. We did drug tests. We had a chef to provide meals and we had a safe space to live. So I was in that industry for a long time. And it was like surreal to like work in a place that I once lived. So I had that experience of like, this is my journey. And now I could give that experience, strength and hope to other people. And then I ended up starting my own company. I just realized that I was living this way for such a long time that I had so many tools and tips to offer people. I teach people and families. It doesn't have to be 12 step. There's so many different ways that someone can be sober. And I, I started to teach people some of the methods that I looked that I learned along the way. While I was doing that, I started working for this plastic surgeon in New York. And that became more fun. And it's fun working in healthcare. It's fun being in recovery and not working in recovery. I have I wear many hats. I have many jobs. And the only reason I'm able to do any of this is because I wake up sober. I wake up motivated, ambitious. And it's because I've built up such a great life because of my sobriety. Like it's the only way that I've had any success financially 
or able to do any of the things I I'm doing. It's because I, because I'm sober. So I, I need to share that message that like I had smart feet. That was a one, one tip. Then it led me to having success in my career. And it's because of my sobriety. That's amazing. And so would you say, so I asked my guests to, to mm-hmm. come on the show and talk about three areas of their life or things that have changed for them in sobriety. Now you had a relatively short time before you were in sobriety, but what would you say would be your your three areas? It just wouldn't be the same if you were drinking. Well, yes, I did have a relatively short period, but I had like some things that I was doing was, was crazy. I, I mean, work is a great example. You know, I talked about the success I have, but like when I was drinking, I couldn't show up for a job. I remember I got fired from a couple jobs. I showed up like one day and left. So I was not able to be a worker among workers. I was not able to show up for a job. I, the drinking like interrupted that. I, I, like I said, I attribute all my success in my career as a result of sobriety. That's number one. Yeah. Number two is, is family. You know, who I am today. I mean, may he rest in peace. We just lost my grandfather. I'm Um, so sorry. Thank you. And uh, I was able to show up for my family for weeks for my grandfather when he was, you know, at the end of his life. And his name is Coleman. And I remember him and I still pray for him. Who I was was like so reliable, helpful, supportive. These are things that I wasn't when I was drinking. I remember I wouldn't show up for my family. I would tell them I would lie to them. I would steal from them. I I was a miserable person. And then today I'm able to show up for my family, like I said. So being a person in my family is huge. Yeah. And that's a gift. And that is something that is directly beneficial for my sobriety. And then the last thing, to be honest, like, and I think it's important to talk about who I am in romantic relationships is just an amazing person. I was unable to be in a relationship with a woman when I was drinking. Today, I have a girlfriend. I I show up today. I'm faithful. I'm loyal. I plan fun events, sober, to us fun dates. There's so many things we can do that don't involve drinking, you know, concerts, magic shows, dinners, travel, going places together. Like that's me. That's Mitch as a sober boyfriend. When I was drinking, I remember I would use women. I would like date them and then say, oh, maybe I should ask her for money to support my drinking habit. I was cheated. I wasn't loyal. So like who I am today, it's like night and day in romantic relationships. Like sober Mitch is an excellent boyfriend. But Mitch that was drinking was was a like a jerk. So those three things I want to say, like my career success, my family and my romantic relationships are the definitely the biggest positive changes I see in sobriety. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. And your your girlfriend, does she drink alcohol? She does, yeah. You say you're quite used to being around it. It takes time to kind of, it doesn't happen overnight that I'm like, oh, I developed that skill of being around. It's a skill, I think, of being around people that are drinking and being comfortable of what I'm doing. It takes time. But it was told to me pretty quickly, and this is a valuable lesson, that I can't hide or escape alcohol. No, it's everywhere. Everywhere. (laughs) 
you know, in some li sober literature, they use the example, if you're an Eskimo in Alaska, in an igloo in the middle of nowhere, someone may walk by you and offer you some whiskey. You know what I mean? It's everywhere. You can't hide. So if you can't, if you know this, you know, I started developing skills when to be comfortable with what I'm doing around people that are drinking. And yeah. that is quick tip. Always have a non-alcoholic drink in your head, ready to go wherever you are. The best, two best things, a seltzer or a diet soda. Yeah. And always like, so I always have one of those in your hand and then I feel comfortable wherever I am. So you and almost then, prepare before you walk in, you sort of kind of go, right, well, this is what I'm going to drink. Exactly. And then I say to myself, especially in the beginning, maybe I shouldn't be here for the, for that long. Let's say you're going to like, you know, your mother's birthday is at some bar or, or someplace where they have alcohol. Maybe say, look, I'm not at a position where I can be here for five hours, but maybe I show up early and maybe I leave early. I'm going to have everyone know in advance that I'm, I have to leave early because of something else. And that's how you get through things like this until you're able to be there the whole time. So you, you prepare in advance to be around alcohol and eventually it becomes second nature that I can be out to dinner with my girlfriend and she has wine and I have a seltzer and it's a wonderful dinner. And how do you feel then about, this is the other the other question I've got, is how do you feel around people that are getting drunk? Not just a glass of wine with dinner, but they're on a mission to get drunk. Because I personally, I don't judge them. I have no judgment, but I don't find it that fun. And I kind of excuse myself at that point. Absolutely. And I, I do something similar, but then it's like eventually after being around, so after seeing that, time and time again, you realize that you're doing the right thing. Yeah. I use this example. You're out on a Saturday night. Those people that get drunk, they stay out. I go home as a sober man, go to sleep early, and then wake up early on a Sunday. And I usually, like this morning, I exercised. And I'm able to wake up sober. I'll exercise. I listen to a podcast, read a book. So I'm doing all these things that these people that were drinking are still sleeping the next day or wake up hungover, unable to do anything on a Sunday. And I'll do 10 things by the time they wake up. So I eventually have the last laugh, so to speak. It just makes it like when I see a drunk person, I say, okay, I'm not going to be here anymore because I'm going to go home to be a successful sober person. Yeah. And every time now I say that to myself and then it just happens. It's so, like that yeah. direct comparison, isn't it? You can literally look and think, do you know what? I'm going to make a different choice because, you know, we've been there, haven't we? We've been there until the end of the night. And we know how that ends. And so actually going home early night, cup of tea, cup of coffee, whatever, maybe not coffee just before bed, but then wake up <laughs> early, early in the morning and kind of work out or, you know, spend time with your girlfriend. It, exactly. That's, that's a gift. A absolute gift. And I, you know, I can play the tape forward in the moment and yeah. that takes a lot of practice. But that's that's a great saying, and it's I've heard that saying so many times. Play the tape forward, but mm -hmm. it's such a simple technique that works. Think about yeah. like the 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 getting to bed, the putting the. I, I for me, it's taking my makeup off. Just those little things. If you can just play the tape forward as to how it would be one way and would be the other way, yeah, and listen to the positive one. Yeah. What other tips do you have for somebody in? 
in early sobriety. So they're sort of, maybe they're a grey area drinker, they're around it all the time, they can't escape it. What tips would you have? Would you say avoid things or? I mean, okay, well, the first major tip that someone that is in that grey area is, and I said this before and I'll say it again, it is never too early to ask for help. Nowadays, I would say the two biggest piece of advice I would give someone who wants to maybe think about being sober is number one, therapy. We have so many resources today where you can do therapy online. You don't even have to go in person. You can just have a Zoom call with someone and just to talk it out what you're going through. Just maybe have one session, talk it out. So that's number one. And then two, I also would tell people they have try an open 12-step meeting. And again, I'll make it as easy as possible. You can go on Zoom to a 12-step meeting open, turn your video off and just listen and see. And maybe you can identify with some things. Maybe it's not for you. If you think you have a problem, check those two things out. In terms of like situations, the number one thing is making a plan before you do anything, make a plan. And like I said, you know, I gave the example of your mother's birthday. The plan will consist of timing and logistics. Like when I'm showing up, when I'm leaving, do I even go? Maybe maybe I make up an excuse this time until I could be around in this setting and be able to be sober. And then plan what you're going to drink. Go in saying, I'm going to have a seltzer and I'm going to hold it. Maybe I'll put a lime in it and two plastic straws so it looks a little fancy. And I will promise you, no one cares what you were drinking. Yeah. And if someone cares, and maybe that person is not your friend. Maybe they're just like purposely going out of their way to ask you why you're not drinking alcohol. Yeah. Because when you drink a glass of water or a seltzer, you're drinking. All right. You're just not drinking alcohol. Yeah. And then I do, I have a, like a little tease thing that I tell people, okay, yeah, I drink all the time. I just don't drink alcohol. So those tips, if you're going to an event type, type of thing, really have worked for me. But you have to be comfortable doing stuff like leaving early from a, a thing or making an excuse not to go. And I feel comfortable doing that because I realize that my sobriety is, again, the smart feet is the most important thing in my life. I play the tape forward. The things that drugs and alcohol do to me are like not good. So if this birthday party or, or event with clients after work will lead me down the path of going back to treatment, it makes a bigger deal out of it than it is. And then you're able to understand that, yes, maybe I should leave early. Maybe I shouldn't go to this and make up and plan something else for that time because it's important that I stay sober. And if this thing can risk my sobriety, it's definitely not good for me. Yeah. And that's so important. And and people do say that, don't they? Oh, I'm worried. I don't want to offend anybody or I'm concerned that I might let somebody down if I don't turn up to something. But you have to place your sobriety particularly in the early days right at the yes. top of the list I mean I I just I didn't socialize for the first month or two I just didn't I didn't want to do anything didn't want to go anywhere we went on holiday the one time and I went we went for one overnight and actually we went and stayed in this place and I said to my husband I don't even want to walk into the town and this was about six weeks into sobriety but yeah. I was prepared to go away and get my head used to that but I didn't want to go and walk past pubs or bars in in the nearby town 
And we actually then did a little walk around the town on the Sunday morning when everything was shut. And I still felt weird walking past when the pubs were shut. Now it doesn't bother me. You've got to get used to that. You've got to give yourself a chance, haven't you? Yeah. And I would break it down into looking out for three categories. We say people, places, and things. Are there people that I should or shouldn't be around? And I say it like that because maybe there's really positive people in your life. Maybe you have that that friend that goes to the gym three or four times a week. Like you want to be with that person, right? Because that's a healthy thing. Or maybe you shouldn't be around that one aunt that gets drunk every time you're around her at, you know, a thing. So maybe for the time, so people you watch out for. Places, you know, you just mentioned, you know, you avoid or go to certain places, right? Avoid places when there's heavy drinking in the beginning, especially. But but go to places where there's a positive atmosphere. I mean, bookstores, clubs, gyms, you know, anything related to health and fitness are positive places. Family members that make you feel good, that are supportive. The last is people, places, and things. And that it's a per- that's a personal thing. So I can't really give examples. It's personal to every single thing. But if you know there's a thing, a situation that is triggering to you that can affect your sobriety, you may have to avoid it or limit it, especially in the beginning until you could learn how to be around that thing or situation and have success being sober. So people, places, and things. And also looking out for those things that then are good for you. You kind of feel yes. that they're, you know, it might be new to you, but you go, actually, this thing is something that really ignites me that I hadn't noticed before. Exactly. And it's such, it's something that we need to talk more about. I mean, I don't want any, anyone to feel when they become sober that they're restricted. If anything, they're gaining more. Yeah. No, we're I talking mean, like, very much, aren't we, about like those early days, early coping scenarios rather yes. than long term sobriety is and whatever that that class is, whatever your definition is. But longer term sobriety is nothing like early sobriety at all. Yes. It, it opens so many doors. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and the thing is, you don't even know what things you're going to be interested in until you for me early sobriety i you know i was able to go to school i was able to go to work at a job and i met people and i was you know i didn't even go like skiing or something that i would just i fell in love with it because i just i met some sober people and they were going skiing and i just was able to show up and go and now i like now i'm a skier so you don't you don't even know my life turned around flipped upside down 180 it was just a different person yeah and I get opportunities today in sobriety that are just beyond my wildest dreams because I don't even know how amazing it can be. You and know? you don't know what's to come either, do you? It's like I, I feel I, I'm a year sober now, just over a year. And so in this year, I cannot believe the things that have changed for me. And I I was your gray area drinker. I was somebody whose life was still held together and nobody would have known I had any issues. I wasn't day drinking. I, was, I, was, I wasn't getting drunk. I wasn't hungover. I was still running two businesses, still running a family. Everything was sort of on the surface level, fine. And my life has changed this much. I can't believe yeah. how much alcohol was impacting me when I thought I had a handle on it. Yeah. It's a beautiful life we live today. It really is. I think it's a gift. 
I really do. Yeah. Like I said, a superpower. It is absolutely a superpower. So actually, we're just coming up to the end of dry January. And I noticed some of the things you've spoken about on your social media recently have been about dry January. And one of the things you said was, what are you going to do on the the 2nd of February? Where are you going to take this dry January that you've started? Exactly. If you identified you needed to stop for a month to have a break or you've had a heavy Christmas or whatever, why not carry it on? Yes, Exactly. So dry January, I think it's good. It's good and bad. It's good in the fact that it it gets people interested in potentially being sober. It gets them to try it out. You know, it's good for the publicity of a sober lifestyle. But it's bad because if you actually have a problem with alcohol, you, you know, for me, like I have to realize that I can't just stop for a month and then go back to it. It's not something that will go away after being sober for 31 days. So you're concerned that somebody might do it and almost kid themselves that they don't have a problem because they've managed to stop for that length of time. Yes. Yeah. And they managed to stop because they're like, oh, we're doing dry January. I mean, because I, I try to think of all angles because I've been around for so long. Yeah. Um, I, here's a stat that I learned recently is that only 8% of people that make a new year's resolution will at the end of the year do that resolution. I, I don't want dry January. I, I want it to be a thing that people get interested in, but then stay for dry February Yeah, and then dry March. Okay. You're doing dry January, but Thursday, February 1st, I hope you stay sober. To me, if you're going to do dry January, that is the time that you work on the tools to sustain that sobriety. Yeah, so that's I'm, so I'm important. Like, yes, because, I mean, in America, the second weekend in February is Super Bowl Sunday. So, you know, American football and like a lot of people, that's a huge drinking day. But if you're doing dry January and you want to stay sober, like I want to help you also be sober when you watch the Super Bowl. Yeah. I want you to be sober in March for St. Patty's Day, right? I want you to be sober in April for Easter and Passover. Just keep on moving forward. It's important if you're going to do something, also understand with the same breath, let's start putting in tips and start changing my life in a way that I can sustain it. And I think that is so important because yeah. I want everyone that's interested in being sober to stay sober not just do it for a week and then go back to it. I mean, my dad is a great example with this. I always say my dad has a chocolate allergy. So one day he ate chocolate and he had like a headache and he got nauseous and he had an allergic reaction. So we stopped eating chocolate. And then a couple months go by, maybe it was a couple of years. He goes, oh, what the heck? Maybe it was just that one time. Let me try chocolate again. And then he has chocolate. And the same thing happened. He has a headache. He doesn't feel well. He gets nauseous. He has to go home. He's ill. So he just doesn't. So it's like the same thing. Like he just knows that he can't have chocolate. That's it. He doesn't, he doesn't eat chocolate again. And like, I just don't want people to have the same consequences that come with the drinking to think like they could do a dry January and then February 1st or 2nd drink again. And then the same behavior over and over again. Yeah. And I honestly don't think you need to identify because there's such resistance 
with some people mm-hmm. want you know they don't want to identify as an alcoholic they just have this stigma and wrongly so that they don't want to I remember actually saying myself that come on Louise you've got to have 30 days off you know it was almost like a threat to myself and I couldn't manage 30 days to begin with I really couldn't and I really struggled and that was the frightening thing I thought well hang on a minute how in control is alcohol so I think for some people with dry January it'll highlight that maybe they have a a bigger issue with it than they thought they did maybe they've struggled with it or their mood has suffered but again if it if it has gone well then stick at it 100 percent. you know we i I think we committed to like a year so that was me and my husband after the sort of the messy start in the january it wasn't we didn't do it for dry january actually it just happened to be the first of january the christmas was over and i said right that's it and we both said let's not drink this year and there's no way either of us now would go back and touch it because our lives are just amazing. so different. That's so amazing. I, I love hearing your story, Louisa. And again, I think it's interesting and just the power of living this type of life that we are two different people, but we can connect on the same thing and talk for hours about it. You also said in, in one of your reels, actually, I was watching about that you have a respect for alcohol. And that's yeah. something I didn't have. I had respect for drugs and gambling. There's no way I'd do either of those things, but I didn't have any respect for alcohol. Yeah, respect. And what I meant by that is that to me, alcohol is the enemy, right? Like I respect the enemy. And again, when you realize what you're dealing with, then it will make the changes that I'm willing to make in my life easier. And it's all tied in together. When when I respect alcohol and I'm currently in a job that I know is not good for me because I'm not putting my sobriety first at this job because I continue to be put in situations around alcohol or maybe I'm working too many hours in the day and not taking care of myself. When I respect alcohol and I know that if I continue working at this job, it will lead me back to the drink, then it makes it easier to make the, those positive decisions for your life. You know, So that's an example. And because I respect alcohol and I know what it does to me and what it does to other people, how serious of a problem that I have with it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And so what are your plans for the future then? So you've got this really lovely job now and you've written a book. Yeah. What's next? Great question. Thank you. I mean, I, I just look, the book is is my version of of a podcast. It's it's a way for me to connect with people all over the world, to have my story be written down. It, and I wanted to help. I want to just help as many people as possible. The book was the way to do it. Um, going on podcast is a way to do it. And what's next is that I don't know where my life is going to take me sober, but I know that it, I have to keep on doing these things one day at a time and more will, will be revealed in my life. What's next is I'm just going to keep on doing this one day. I I take it one day at a time and I'm just going to keep on doing what I'm doing because it's working. Yeah, it certainly is. It's, it's kind of a, a theme that, that we're doing at work is, you know, and again, I, I said, you know, about dry January, not making these Herculean big resolutions about changing my life is to realize my strengths and doubling down on those strengths. So I'm about to, what's next? I'm going on a book tour. I'm going to 
Florida, California, New York, Connecticut, and, and I'm going to different Barnes and Nobles to do book signings and to hopefully meet different people around the country. So that's exciting. I'm going to continue to show up to my job. I'm going to continue to show up to my family. I'm going to continue to show up to my relationship. And that is the most important things for me. And that is essentially what sobriety has. That's been the platform that everything has been built on. Yep, exactly. When you talked about a sober toolbox and you sort of start building this sober toolbox, what sort of things do you have in your sober toolbox? Visualization is a tool in the toolbox, but it's actually the idea of building this idea that I have this toolbox and the things in it are what I'm using to keep me sober. Yeah. Right. So community is a perfect example. Like throughout my sobriety, when I was in rehab, I met sober people. When I went to the halfway house, I was surrounded with sober people. When I moved to New York, I moved to New York with a guy I met at Rutgers. We had an apartment together. So we're, we're sober. Like I had the support. So the community of people that are doing the same things I'm doing are super helpful. Another thing is health, fitness, and wellness is in my toolbox. I'm a marathon runner today. I go to fitness classes, cycling classes, boot camp classes, and I've done fitness throughout my sobriety, and it's helped me, mind, body, spirit, just feel better about myself and my body and be just a positive, sober man. 12-step is in the toolbox. Therapy is in the toolbox. I have, I have a, a phone in the toolbox because I... I connect with people over the phone, podcasts, phone calls, text messages, social media in a positive way. And I build this life today that's beautiful. My sober toolbox. That is amazing. Mm -hmm. and, and how do you deal with, this is a really hot topic, emotions in sobriety? Now, you mentioned therapy there, which I'm guessing that's that's one of your tools to deal with your yeah. emotions. But that tends to be the thing that can really knock yeah. people off their feet. Yeah, ex exactly. It was told to me that when you get sober, it's like all your emotions are turned up a little bit as opposed to a, someone who doesn't struggle with this. So like fear is more, anxiety is more, excitement is more, joy and happiness are more. So what I do is the positive emotions I embrace and the negative emotions like fear and anxiety I've learned tips and tricks to to manage it and to accept it and manage it. Something that, you know, comes to my mind with fear and anxiety that I forgot to mention that's in the toolbox is prayer and meditation. Yeah. And that's helped me tremendously. Um, I'm not a religious person. I'm a spiritual person, but I've been in touch with my religion and I've been praying since day one in sobriety. And I have a connection to a higher power today. And then I meditate is huge for me. And meditation for me is not sitting down with my legs crossed for 20 minutes, you know, saying like, Om. meditation is a walk, is driving my car, is being at the beach and closing my eyes and listening to the waves. Meditation is anything where you can be still and listen. And it yeah. can be an active meditation. So I learned tools to deal with all the negative emotions and I embrace the positive emotions. And that's so true about meditation. Everybody has this kind of image, don't they, in their head that they've got to empty their all their thoughts. And it just seems so daunting. 
to to do and and as somebody who's got always got thoughts racing I just wouldn't be interested but I use relaxation meditation mindfulness like you say in movement yeah I mean before I got on the podcast I was doing my laundry and listening to a podcast and I put my dishes away and I did the laundry I was cleaning up my kitchen and that was a meditation and I wasn't thinking about this podcast I wasn't thinking about last night I was in the moment yeah. And that helped me. And now I'm able to show up and be present to you. And of course, sobriety helps you with being present because the minute you have any sort of drink in your system or substance in your system, yes. you're zoning out of that present moment. So that brings you back into the present, which is a gift to the people you're talking to. Absolutely. As somebody who I would say caught my problem early or earlier, now you've got a lot of experience in the recovery sector what are the early signs of having an issue with alcohol? Because I would say things like, do you know what? I'd never, ever put a bottle of wine back in the fridge. I'd always have a limit of maybe a bottle, but I would never, if there was a bit left, I'd always finish it. Are those early warning signs? It's a great question. The number one thing is lying, is lying about your drinking. That's something. And we have to be careful because sometimes we lie to ourselves. When a husband or wife says, oh, how many drinks did you have tonight? If you say one or two, but you really had three or four, that quick lie can be an early sign that you have a problem. So the second thing I would say is not being able to control your drinking or not being able to enjoy your drinking. The third thing, the other tip I would give is if you black out, or you're not able to remember periods of, of the night or of the day after you drink that, you know, that's called blacking out. And that's definitely a sign you may have a problem. Um, another thing is if you get in trouble with the law, if you get arrested, if, if you get in bar fights constantly, is it called DUI, uh, driving under the influence in England? Yeah, I don't know, actually, but I think we call yeah. it drink driving. I'm, I'm around people that drink alcohol. Most people that don't have a problem if they're in a place that's not their home and they're drinking, they make arrangements to get home safely. Yeah. You know, they call an Uber or they have a, a designated driver. If you are driving and you're drunk, like that's definitely also a sign that you, that you may have a problem. So those, those things I would say come to mind right away. What about somebody then who goes, right, but I can, I cannot drink in the week, but I cannot imagine a Friday, Saturday, Sunday without drinking. And maybe they're not going overboard, but they just have areas of their life that they, they've got such association with drinking. The thing is, look, everybody is different. I mean, and maybe that delays you getting sober. Let's say you drink only on the weekends, only on Friday and Saturday nights, but you're not able to control and enjoy your drinking when you do drink. And a lot of bad, and bad things happen, but only on Friday, Saturday nights, and you're able to control it. That's probably a sign that you have a problem. Yeah. But there's other people that are able to to drink, I, I say drink successfully and not have a problem and good for them. I mean, that's great. That's just, that's not my experience. But timing doesn't, I mean, I would say it doesn't matter the frequency, but you have to look for what happens when you do have the drink. Are you able to control your drinking? Are you able to say, I'm just having one or two and just have one or two? Are you yeah. able to enjoy it? Like, do you even enjoy it? Maybe you just have one, but you don't like it. 
you have to ask yourself, why are you just having that glass of wine then? There's many other items on the menu to drink. So yes, those could be signs that you have a problem. The frequency, you don't have to be a daily drinker like I was to want to not drink anymore. Yeah, you don't have to hit rock bottom. You don't have to drink daily to say exactly. it doesn't serve me. Exactly. And, I, and I've hoped that and I think that I've done a good in telling my story, a good like sample size of how beneficial being sober can be. So beneficial yeah. not drinking alcohol can be. Well, you've and lived. And I think that there's so many benefits. So you've lived half your life sober nearly? Yeah, more, more than, yeah, about half my life sober. And that is such an achievement. That is absolutely phenomenal. And so sobriety for you is now such a, a way of life, but I mm -hmm. take it you still protect it. Yes. And and this goes back to what we were talking about before about respecting alcohol. I protect it because I respect alcohol. I know how serious it can it is for me. And it and it makes it as the days go on easier and easier to to you know to be far from that drink because you know i practice and i respect it yeah i have really enjoyed talking to you today thank you so much for taking the time thank you and for it's having just, me it's been lovely picking your brains having been sort of in the recovery sector and in recovery for so long sobriety is the foundation that everything else is built on yeah I couldn't have said it any better myself i'm so grateful and honored to chat with you I wish you so much success and luck in your in this podcast. You know, thanks for having me on. It's a great way to start my Sunday. Oh, thank you so, so much. And if you'd like to find out more about Mitch or to buy his book, then you can head to Amazon. There's a link in the show notes. And you'll also be able to follow him on Instagram at Mitch Motivates. And as always, if you want to find out more about myself, you can follow me on Instagram at Stepping Into Sobriety, or you can head to my website, louisaevans.com, where you'll find lots of useful links, including a link to my audiobook, Becoming a Sober Rebel. Let's face it, in sobriety, there's always a time to read. So thank you so much for joining us today, and I'll catch you next time.